to sin. We're no longer a slave to fear. You put in there what used to enslave you in your life and let's celebrate what God's done in each of our lives. I'm, I'm no longer a, a, a sin to fear of tomorrow. I'm no longer a, a slave to worry. I'm no longer a slave to anxiety. I'm no longer a, sl- a slave to my past life. I'm no longer a slave to my finances or drugs or alcohol or whatever had enslaved you in the past. We are no longer slaves to those things. Why? Because we are children of God. You this morning, church, you are as a born-again believer, a child of God. You are a child of God because we have a God who conquered our sin. We have a God who came and died on the cross and rose again. We have a God who loves us, who's gone to make a way for us to go to be with Him in heaven, a God who's not left us here to be orphans, a God who loves us and is going to return, and one day He is going to take us home. We can sing that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Why? Because we are children of God. Amen? We are children of God. We no longer are slaves to this world or anything in it. We are no longer slaves to the enemy of this world. We are no longer slaves to fear of the man and and the society of this world and the things that this world creates that cause us to have fear. Why? Because we are children of God. And everything that God determines in His heart to do, He will do. Everything that God has designed you to do, He will accomplish. And there is nothing impossible for God. Now it's time for our children to come forward. If you are a child, I want to come and I want to teach you something this morning. So I want to invite all our children to come up front. Come on up here and have a seat. All right, looking good. You guys look so nice today. Do you guys know what this is? It's a tape measure. What do we use tape measures for? To measure things. Do you ever go to get new shoes and have them get that little special board out? It doesn't look like a tape measure, but it has the same thing. You're like, measure your feet like this to see what size of shoe you have to wear? No? You never, you just put them on and run. You're good. Okay. All right. Did you know that sometimes the world tells us, especially you guys, that you don't measure up to the things that God is calling you to do? Do you ever feel like that? Get the measure up, get it, tape measure? Anybody? It's a tough crowd today, all right? Y'all got to earn it? You want me to earn it? I'm, I'm good with that. You know, the church is full of people who didn't measure up according to this world. You know that? Have y'all ever heard of a lady named Lottie Moon? Yes? Who's, who's Lottie Moon? Do you remember? That's exactly it. You get a piece of candy from your daddy. Take, take her out for ice cream after church today. <laughs> Ambeline nailed it. Lottie Moon, a missionary from North America from the United States who went to China. And what was she? What was the first part you told me? She was what? Very... Very short. Did you know that Lottie Moon was only four foot three inches tall? You know that? She was only this tall right here. 
Anybody that tall or taller than that? Yeah. This is how tall she was as an adult. She was a very small woman, but man, she was full of faith. You know, as a single woman, it was really hard for her to go on, on mission for the Lord because many of the people in her life told her that she didn't measure up. She was very small, and they considered her to be kind of weak physically, and so they didn't want her to go to China. But you know what she said? God's called me to go to China. And you know what she did? She went to China, and she did great things for the Lord. She went to places where no other people from America ever went, and she shared the gospel with them. She was known for baking fresh cookies and having people to her house for tea. And she won many, many, many people to the Lord, especially women and children. So don't ever let, don't ever let this world tell you that you don't measure up. Because whatever God calls you to do, he's going to help you do it. There's another guy I want to tell you about. His name is George Lyle. George Lyle was a man who came from Africa. And unfortunately, uh, he was caught up in the ungodly, unbiblical slave trade that brought him to the United States. So he came to the U.S., and he was a slave here. And he was converted to Christ when he came to the U.S. And God, when he was, when he was a slave, God called him to be a preacher. And so a lot of people told him, George, you're a slave from Africa. You can't be a Baptist preacher. And you know what he said? He said, God called me to preach the gospel. And so he started to preach the gospel. And he planted the first African-American Baptist church in the United States. And everybody told him that he couldn't because he was a slave. And then eventually, God freed him from his slavery. And then, you know what he did next? He preached the gospel, but then he went to Jamaica. And he went over to Jamaica and he started to tell people about Jesus there. And he planted the first Baptist church in Jamaica after people told him they shouldn't leave America, they should never go. And he also helped end slavery in Jamaica. And that was after everybody told him, George, you can't do that. You don't measure up. You can't be a preacher. You can't go and leave and be a missionary. And you know what he said? God called me to do it. So I want to tell you guys something very important today. God gives you, or God makes you into a new person when you follow Jesus. God gives you a new purpose when you follow Jesus. And God gives you new opportunities when you follow Jesus. So don't ever let the world tell you you don't measure up to what God called you to do. All right? All right. So the word of the day today is opportunity. Opportunity. So you all can go sit down. Thank you for coming up here. All right, church, I want to invite you to open up the word of God with me this morning. We're in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 26 through 31, as we talk about this new opportunity. We have a God who does radical things in our lives. He's a God who turns us into a new person. That's that moment when you hear the gospel, turn from your sin, trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. A radical transformation takes place. The Holy Spirit comes into you. He turns you into a new person. You're born again. When God looks at you, He no longer sees your sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ, which is imputed upon you. You are a new person in the eyes of God. And along with you being transformed into a new person is a new purpose, a new calling, a new way of life, a calling from the Lord that beckons you to follow Jesus and to fulfill His will. You no longer fulfill the old ways of life that the world called you to complete. Instead, you follow Jesus. You've got a new purpose. That's what we talked about the last couple weeks. 
Now today we're going to talk about the new opportunity in Christ. The new opportunity. As we follow Jesus, a new opportunity to be used by Him in magnificent ways awaits us. We're going to look at the life of Saul as he as we see these new opportunities unfold in his life, and then we're going to apply that to our own lives. The first struggle we have when we're born again is we've got this old life, right? Were any of you saved as adults? Anybody in here saved as an adult? All right, if you were saved as an adult, you had a a, a mound of life that, that you completed before you were a Christian, and you probably have some skeletons in your closet, right? You probably did some things that you maybe are, are, are ashamed of and things you wish you wouldn't have done. You maybe had an old lifestyle that was unbiblical. And so all of that kind of exists when you become a believer. And the truth is, our past does influence our present. And we're going to see how that happened in Saul's life here. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 says, When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples But they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe that he was a disciple. So Saul leaves, if you remember from last week, Saul leaves Damascus under the cover of night because he was boldly proclaiming the gospel. And the the Jewish leaders in Damascus didn't like what he was saying. And they couldn't shut him up, so they said, okay, we're just going to kill him. And so they were watching the gates. And when Saul was going to try and leave town, they were going to arrest him and kill him. Well, the believers in Damascus didn't want Paul to die, so they led him out by the cover of night, and he escaped. Now, we learn in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 18 and 23, that when Paul left Damascus, he went to Arabia for three years. So, we're catching him now after he had spent three years in Arabia, and he's going back to Jerusalem. The Saul they knew, and the man... Jesus changed Saul into were quite different. So Saul had been gone for Jerusalem for several years, and the, and the believers there were still terrified of this man, Saul. They knew what Saul did. Do you remember what he did in Jerusalem? He was the impetus of, at that point in the life of the, of the New Testament church, he was the catalyst for the brutal imprisonment and torture and murder of Christians in Jerusalem and in the areas around Jerusalem. So this guy who was capable of putting people in jail, of having them stoned and all those things, now he's come back to town. So of course, the believers are terrified of him. And when he comes back to town, they're like, okay, so this guy saw, he's saying that he's a believer, but we don't really believe him. I don't think he's a real, true disciple of Christ. Do you remember what he was doing three years ago? Right? Would y'all be in the same camp as the believers in Jerusalem? I would, you would really, really got to have some good evidence for me to believe that that guy got saved, right? Because only good people get saved, right? That's not true. So I'm not surprised about that. The question I'm sure they were asking is, how could he change from being one of the most intense, horrific persecutors of the Christian church into a preacher. How is that even possible? Well, we ask that question all the time in our lives, don't we? Do you find yourself asking God, how is that even possible, God? Anybody? I do that all the time. 
Often it's when God wants me to do something I don't want to do. I'm quick to tell him that's impossible. And then there's a few verses in Scripture that tell us about impossibility in God, right? What do they say? Nothing is impossible for God. Let's try it again. Let's just warm up a little bit. You guys weren't ready for it. Let's try it. Ready? Nothing is impossible for God. Thank you for playing along. It just makes it so much better when we work together. Paul later, Saul becomes renamed to Paul and writes a big chunk of the New Testament. Later in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes about how this is possible. And I can't help but imagine that maybe Paul was thinking back to his own transformation. Ephesians 4, 20-24 says this, But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. It is possible for one person to be changed into a totally new person because of Christ. Because of what Jesus does inside of us. Literally turning us into a new person. And that's all possible because nothing is impossible for God. Saul's life and his ministry demonstrates something that's important for all of us. Our past does influence our present. The way we lived our lives before we knew Jesus influences the way we live and the way that people recognize our current life. God can save anybody at any time. No matter what they've done, no matter what they were doing, no matter what they will do, God saves even the worst of us, including me, including you. The Bible says that Jesus literally changes a lost person into a new creation. And that person, when they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, becomes a new person in the eyes of God. Now the challenge that every believer has is that when we've been, re- when, when we've been recreated by Christ, we still have a past, don't we? So church, what do we do with that past? How do we move forward in Christ when at the same time we we have all this baggage that we picked up on the way? Well, let's see what Saul did. Let's see what the church and what the Lord Jesus did for him. You see, our past influences our present. That's true. But Jesus holds our future. Our past influences our present. But Jesus holds our future. Look at verse 27. It says, Barnabas, however, took him, brought him to the apostles, and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road, and that the Lord had talked to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So along comes this guy named Barnabas. And his name, interestingly enough, means son of encouragement. And so Barnabas, throughout the, he's not mentioned often in the New Testament, but he is a bridge builder. He's someone who takes people who are in conflict, uh, who have needs, and he brings them together. So Barnabas has a unique uh, testimony about this guy Saul. Barnabas saw Saul in Damascus three years ago. He saw this man who was a big persecutor of the church, and then he, he saw him, and, and this drastic change, this miraculous change that happened in his life, 
He recognizes that. He takes Saul to the apostles. So I think what Barnabas is thinking is, hey, if I can win over the apostles, the leaders of the church here in Jerusalem, the rest of the church will accept Saul. So he takes Saul into the apostles. And I'm kind of wondering if the apostles are like, what in the world are you doing here with Saul? Right? Like he does the secret knock. They let him in. And then what happens? Hey, it's Barnabas. Hey, come on in. And then who's behind Barnabas? If they had like, you know, that creepy organ music, that would be Saul when he walks in. And everybody's, I'm sure, terrified. Oh no, they like Saul's found us. He's come to arrest us. And, and they're terrified about that. Well, Barnabas talks to them and says, listen, I saw Saul in Damascus. He put his neck on the line. He preaches the gospel. People were saved. He is a follower of Jesus. And so he tells them about what he did and how he did it boldly, how he did it in the face of persecution. The Lord Jesus placed Barnabas in Saul's life to help pave the way for him to take that next step in his ministry. Now this part of the text perfectly illustrates the truth that our past influences our present, but Jesus holds the future. But what do we do when the mistakes of our past seem to stand in the way of the future that Jesus desires for us to have? Well, there's two things we can do. The first thing is, first we need to do our best to right the wrongs of the past. Right? So, when you think about your past before Christ, there's probably some people that you hurt. Some probably some things you said. Some things you did. Maybe that you're a believer now and maybe you did that yesterday. So what God calls to do according to His Word is to go back and make those relationships right. To repent of what we've done. Both to Him and to the others we've wronged. And so first things first. If we want to walk through and, and, and get around or, or move forward into the future that Jesus holds for us, we make things right with the people in our past. We know we're right with the Lord and we do our best to make things right with the people that we've hurt. Second, once we've done that, we do what Saul did. And we embrace the glorious future that Jesus has for us. Now let me tell you something about the enemy, Satan. One, he is the enemy. Satan is a liar. He is a deceiver. And he exists to kill, steal, and destroy what God created. And that includes you. He stands 100% against God's mission against what God desires to do in this world and in your life. And He's going to confront you about your past. He's going to confront you about your sin. And I'm sure you've walked through those kind of spiritual battles. If you've done everything you can to restore broken relationships, if you are following Jesus and living a biblical lifestyle, then this is how you respond to those attacks from the enemy Satan. According to Romans 8, 1-4, again from Paul, you say this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us 
who did not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so, if Jesus has set you free, you are free indeed. If Jesus has set you free, you are free indeed. And so when the enemy or your past comes to haunt you for the mistakes that you've made, you say this, I am free in Christ, and what Jesus has set free is free indeed, and I am a child of God. Our freedom provides something even better. We've been made into a new person. We've been given a new purpose. Our freedom in Christ provides for us new opportunity. Every single believer is called by God, gifted by God, to be used by Him in magnificent ways. Look at verse 28. So Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem. It looks like they accepted him. So the apostles accept him. He's preaching the word. The church has welcomed him with open arms. Speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, he conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. It's very interesting. Saul is coming and going with him in Jerusalem, boldly speaking in the name of the Lord. He's sharing the gospel. He's proclaiming Jesus, the risen Savior, inviting people to turn from sin, trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior, boldly sharing the gospel. That means regularly, every day, without fear. Now, Saul finds himself in the company of the Hellenistic Jews. Now, the last time we see someone debating the Hellenistic Jews in the book of Acts is where? Acts chapter 6 and 7, Stephen. Stephen was the one who was first debating the Hellenistic Jews. Now, Stephen wins that debate. They're mad about that, so then they want to kill him. So then they get the group together, and they decide they're going to stone him. Who received the coats of the people that stoned, Saul, or that stoned Stephen? Saul! That same person who stood there and received the coats as the official witness of the murder of Stephen, is now standing in the same place in front of the same people proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. So you don't tell me that God can't change people. Because he changed Saul into Paul. He changed the, the most vicious and ferocious persecutor of the church into one of the most bold proclaimers of the gospel. So I don't care what you've done in your past. God can and will and desires to use you for his glory, just like he did here for Saul. So he's standing in the same place as Stephen. They're going to try and do the same thing they did last time. It's not going to work, though. He'll ultimately make his way out. The Bible is filled with descriptions of the people that Jesus uses for God's glory. He uses people like liars and adulterers, deceivers, murderers, people who are at once standing and shaking their fist at God, called by him to be used for his glory. That same God desires to use you for a glorious purpose. You are not saved to sit. You were saved to serve. You've been gifted and called, and you're loved by God, and He desires to use you in a mighty way. So the call, the challenge for us, 
Church, the call for us is to engage in the ministry and change the world. How does God change the world? Through you and me. Through His church. Look at verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Wow, this is quite different than Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says this, Saul agreed with putting him to death. This is shortly after Stephen was murdered. On that day a severe persecution broke out against church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So Paul or Saul creating all kinds of chaos. People are terrified. They're running away. They're persecuted. People are being arrested. Now just a couple, one chapter later, Saul is one to faith, now following Jesus. And they have this season of peace, of growth. And actually four things happened during this time. One, they enjoyed peace. Now a new movement, a new wave of persecution is going to happen by Acts chapter 12. But during this time, God through His sovereign power gives the church a season of peace. And during this season of peace, the church is built up. They're becoming more useful to the Lord. They're using their gifts, serving Him, using and, and living up to the potential that God designed them to have. Third, the church lived a life and served the Lord fearfully. Meaning respectfully, with proper respect, receiving the comfort and the encouragement from the Holy Spirit. And it says it grew. Now that word grow there, it means exponential growth. They weren't just adding believers to their mass by ones and twos. It was exponential. Like one times three times five times ten. They were growing by hundreds and then later thousands. Church, listen. This is really important. That description in verse 31 could be a description of our church. Right? Nothing's changed between then and now. It's not like that was just a special season that God gave the church and then He backed away. No, God desires for the people of the keys to be saved. He desires for us to grow in Him. And we are already in a season of peace. You know how I know that? We got up today, we came in our cars, and we're having church. No one's threatening our lives. No one's threatening to close the doors of this place. We can freely meet here and celebrate and worship God. We can leave this place. We can freely go outside and find people at Publix and invite them to church. Tell them about Jesus. I had a great experience this weekend. I met this guy. Uh, some friends of mine were staying at one of our hotels and we were grilling and I met this guy uh, from out of town and we were chatting about restaurants and stuff and and I felt like the Holy Spirit was just telling me, like, hey, you need to invite this guy to church. Just see, tell him about Jesus or, or invite him to church. Just, you know, do something. And I'm like, um, um, you know, it's like, it's uh, Friday. It's my day off, and we're at a pool, and I'm grilling here, and I'm just supposed to, like, hang out, right? Anybody ever tell God that? I'm the only one? Come on. Okay, me and Chris are the only honest people. Wait, Allison put her hand up, too, I think. Okay, there's three honest people in here, just us. And so, of course, that didn't fly because the Holy Spirit was telling me. So, you know, I shared with him and told him about our church. And, man, he was so happy and thankful. And he's like, man, thanks for inviting me. You know, we, we want to find a church to go to while we're here. And if we can, we're going to make it next time we come to town, right? So, like, wow, that went really awesome. What a blessing for me. 
You could do that too. All of us are equipped to do that. We're in a season where we can walk up to people and tell them about Jesus. Other believers in other parts of the world will have their head cut off for that. Not us. We are in a season of peace. We've given by God's Holy Spirit a very unique opportunity to share the gospel. And Jesus will use your spiritual gifts to build up this church and his kingdom. And we can do this together as a fellowship. We can, we can work together to proclaim the gospel. And Jesus will provide an increase for us. Now, that increase may be spiritual in nature. That increase may come from you just being obedient to doing what God's called you to do. And then, you know, the fruit from that is doing what God wants is joy. Let me just tell you, anybody in here could use some joy today? Anybody? Woo! You turn on any news site and go to, you know, on, the, on the web or open up a newspaper, it's kind of devoid of joy, right? We can, man, as people, as human beings, we can suck the joy out of just about everything. Like, look at that new batch of kittens over there. And we would be like, they probably all got fleas, right? <laughs> or wow, look at this new little nest of baby bunnies. Well, who's going to feed those things? <laughs> we need, Christine will, okay. That's why they were laughing. I'm like, why is everyone laughing? Yeah. <laughs> no, Oscar said, no bunnies, no more bunnies. We need joy. And as believers, do you know where our joy comes from? Where's it come from, Miss Jerilyn? It comes from the Lord. And you know what about this joy? We get as much as we could stand from God. There's no limit to the joy that he wants to pour on top of us. The way it's described in the book of Philippians is like this waterfall that just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming on top of your head and coming to the point where it's like, I just can't stand all this joy coming from God. It's from the Lord, and we receive that joy from Him when we receive His pleasure upon our lives by doing the things that He's called us to do. Worship Him. Study His Word. Pray. Use the gifts He created us to have and that He gave us through His Holy Spirit. Using them for His kingdom, for His glory, that brings joy too. And that's what we get, and that's part of that increase that God has promised to us. And then, you know what? When churches share the gospel and... and and people get saved, you know what happens to the church? It grows numerically. Because the new people come to church with you. The ones you lead to the Lord, guess where they're going to go to church? They're going to go with you to church. Because you led them to the Lord, so you're going to lead them to come to church. And so we can have a, a magnificent increase just spiritually inside of each one of us, and then also as a church numerically. And that's what God desires to do. Now the question that we have is, am I ready to give up my spot in the pew for the new people that come when they're saved? <laughs> Just kidding. You will have to answer that eventually, but not today. Some of y'all aren't ready to do that yet. It's okay. Jesus will get you ready. No, the real question is, am I ready to engage in the ministry in this opportunity that God desires for me to have? Am I ready to lay it all the line just like Saul did? Am I ready to leave my past behind? To trust in him? To use the gifts that he's given me for his glory and for his kingdom? That's it. That's the invitation for today. In a minute, I'm going to invite all you guys to stand up. Our team's going to come forward. We're going to have a time of invitation.
And the invitation today is simple. First and foremost, have I been made into a new person? Am, am I born again? Has, has my life been changed by Jesus, radically transformed? If it hasn't, when the music starts, you come, you come up here. I don't care if you run, walk, crawl, jump, whatever you got to do to get here. Get up here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you to Jesus so you can be saved. Maybe you need to follow through with baptism or join this church. Maybe you just need to come up here and pray. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, what is that opportunity that he's calling you to fulfill in his name and according to his power and authority because he can do it through you? Would you all stand with me now? Heavenly Father, I pray over this time of invitation. This really is a moment of decision for us, for every one of us, to be saved, to be born again, to follow through in obedience, to be baptized or join this church. Maybe a new opportunity that, that you've called us to, that we've been waiting, dragging our feet. But today's the day, Lord, that we step forward and, and declare that we're going to do what you've called us to do. Whatever it is, Lord God, whatever that is, help us to hear your soft, sweet voice and help us follow it in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.